0: This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.
1: Coming up next, conversations on human rights with Speak Up, Kōrero Tia, here
2: on Plains FM. Eina mana, eina reo, eina
0: ho e Tena koto katoa. No mai kitene hotaka. Speak up. Korerotia. Tune in as our guests speak up, sharing their unique and powerful experiences and opinions. And may you also be inspired to speak up when the moment's right. Ko speak up korerotia tēne. kosale kaltan a ho. Today, we are talking about events that are happening on the 5th of November 2022 in Ututahi Christchurch. There is both the Parihaka commemoration and a Freedom for Iran movement. I've come up with this great title for the show, which is From Parihaka to Persia, Peace Commemoration in Christchurch. I'm really excited that we've got three different guests with us today. We've got Kate Jews from the Peace and Disarmament Center, who has been involved in peace work in the city for many, many decades. And Kate, uh, it's the second time you've been on the show, so it's great to have you back. Um, We've got Razi from the Interfaith Society, which does a lot of work around peace events. And we've got Mir from the Iranian community, who's going to be telling us about what's happening in Iran and the commemoration and the protests that are happening In order to try and get a bit of public information, a bit of public awareness about what's going on. It would be fantastic to hear a bit more from each of you about who you are, the work that you do, what you bring to this show, provide us with a bit of context.
3: Thanks Sally. Uh, Kia ora everyone. Yes, I've been doing peace work probably since 1976, starting to go out and oppose visits by nuclear warships coming into New Zealand, but have run a centre for Peace Foundation but also the Disarmament Security Centre for 45-ish years but also taught peace studies at Canterbury University and helped get a peace city in Christchurch. So very involved locally but I've also been very involved internationally. Also strong links with the Māori community here and my first memory of Parihaka goes back to 1980 when Te Meringa Ohaya came to the peace movement and said, why the hell don't you know about this? So he often has stayed at our whare when he was organising the peace festival here, and other elders from Parihaka have also joined in. So this this whare is called Te Whare Mokaroko, the peace centre, peace house. Briefly hand over to the others, but happy to share.
0: Thanks, Kate, and it's so great that you bring such a, a wealth of experience with you. Razi,
1: how about you? Kia everyone. I'm Razi Sayed Syed, and I'm the current chair for Canterbury Interfaith Society. Been part of this interfaith society for the last five to six years, maybe. Just joined this uh, by chance when we were just um, feeding the homeless people. And uh, Matthew Gardner, co-chair of the Canterbury uh, Interfaith Society, was also feeding the homeless in Latimer Square, and um, we just sort of bumped into each other, and he... He and my wife were serving the people there, and we got to know them because his wife comes from India, and that's how he introduced us to the um, Interfit Society, and we started taking part in meetings and and gathering. Since then, we've done a few other things, mainly after the 15th of March event, the tragedy that took place uh, where 51 people from the Muslim community were killed the society then was heavily involved in trying to reach out to the victims and trying to create more peace events and understanding about each other's religious beliefs and um, showing respect to each other and basically coming together so that you know when we are in need we we would be able to like help each other out whether it was the earthquakes or floods one of the things that we did after the tragedy was to make packages of food. Uh, what was happening was a lot of the food was given to the families who had lost their main earners, and but because it wasn't uh, ethnically appropriate for them, they were just returning them back to the sallies and things like that. So we organized this with the churches, the churches, Latter day Saints, the other one. A presbyterian church i think and we packaged uh, culturally appropriated spices and dates because it was ramadan during that time i mean it was about to come through so you know that's the uh, gist of it that you know if you do have that kind of connection and respect then if something happens then you know you're there to to get and help each other out what a lovely
0: co papa You touched on something that's interesting there, which is that I think a lot of people think of interfaith and they think about Islam and Christianity and Buddhism, but they don't necessarily think about the different branches. You touched on different branches of churches, for example, different branches of Christianity. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the nice things that I always think about the interfaith society is it's not just Buddhism and Islam and Hinduism, but it's all the different branches within those different religions that come together as well.
1: That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. One of the annual events we do is a, is a peace prayer. Oh. And uh, it was actually organized by the Christians first. And, and then slowly as immigrants started coming in, um, they, they opened that up to all the other religions and faith groups. So for the last two years, we haven't been able to do it face to face, but we were able to do it this year face to face last month.
0: I'm sure we'll hear more about that as we go on. And Mir Hussein, we've got you as our final guest.
1: Yeah, So I'm Mir
4: and I came to New Zealand over five years ago to do my PhD in education. Right now I'm a bilingual school staff at Rickerton High School. Since I was a kid when I was in the UK, I've been following the news. But for the last 10, 15 years, I've been following the news, especially around Iran, every single day. And for a period of time when I was in Iran, apart from you know being a teacher, I was a journalist So I know the journalists' Society and the journalists in Iran, at least the ones that were in my city. What is going on in Iran is a very complex thing that I think Iranians mostly understand because they've known the whole history and they've seen what has been happening Uh, over the past at least 43 years after the revolution. And we know the history of Iran and we do not have the perspective that is usually shown on TV, in the news or in movies. So for us, it's a totally different matter.
0: Thank you, Mia. We're going to have our first song now.
4: Shervin Hajipur the song is called Baraye or four I sang this song based on people's tweets so people started tweeting at, at the start of this uh, I would call it a revolution uh, around 45 days ago tweets that people wrote about why they want this to happen and you will realize that it's for the simplest things that the Iranian people cannot get and they want and it's not just for them it's for the environment for the animals for migrants so it's for a lot of beautiful stuff and he was detained after that and his post was taken down
0: so we're going to play the iranian version now and then later in the show we'll play the english version
5: کوچ رخصیدن برای ترسیدن به وقت بوسیدن برای خواهرم خواهرت خواهرامون برای تغییر مقصد که پوسیدن برای شمنندگی برای ویپولی برای حسرت یک زندگی معمولی برای کودک زوالگرد و هارزوهاش برای این اقتصاد دستوری برای این هوای آلوده برای ولیست شده درخت های فرسوده برای پیروز و اعتمال انقرازش برای سگ های بیگناه ممنوعه برای گریه های بیوخفه برای تصویر تکرار این لحظه برای چهره ای که میخنده برای دانش آموزا برای هاینده برای نخبه های زندانی برای کودکان هفتانی برای این همه برای غیر تکراری برای این همه شوارهای تو خالی برای آوار خونه های پوشاری برای احساس هارامش برای خرشی پس از شبای طولانی برای غورت های عصاب و بیخوابی برای مرد میهن آبادی برای دختری که آرزو داشت سر بود برای زن زندگی آزادی برای آزادی
0: This is Plains FM with Speak Up Kōrero Tia. We'd like to think now about the various events happening on the 5th of November 2022 in Otootahi Christchurch, one of which is the commemoration of Parihaka. And Kate, you're probably the best person to talk to us just a wee bit about what is the story of Parihaka and why is it so critical that it's commemorated?
3: Well, just to acknowledge those from Parihaka, um, because even though my whakapapa isn't necessarily back there, we have to be very careful to allow the stories to come from the people of Parihaka. And it's basically that in, on the 5th of November 1881, about 1,600 troops marched on the village, the Pākehā troops, and uh, they were greeted by people sitting down by children, singing with poise, offering bread, not moving, a completely non-violent direct action to save their land from confiscation and the people before that, the farmers in that area who were in this very successful place of Parihaka, led by two prophets, Te Whiti and Tohu They'd been established there as a special place from 1860 and were very successful with trading and everything, but their land was being confiscated, so they sent their farmers out to change the fence lines as well and, of course, kept getting arrested. And many of the men were taken and arrested and put into prison either here at Repaka or they were taken to Dunedin and imprisoned there. And the women were raped. But it was a very powerful story of opposition to colonialism before Gandhi. And in fact, we know that Gandhi was inspired by Tefiti and the protests there. And they also, some of the prisoners were kept at Addington Jail, which was really important that those two leaders were in, imprisoned there. So Christchurch has quite a link with Parihaka. But the peace group that started here came after Te Miminga came and stayed here at this whare, and he invited us to the to come up to the Parihaka Peace Festival in 2006 and seven, And we started a little group after that that wanted to highlight what was happening in our own city and educate people about what happened at Parihaka, because so few people knew about it. We had hui's here that promoted a petition for Guy Fawkes Day to be renamed Parihaka Day. We also uh, connected with the Addington and Littleton prisons, so there were prisoners in both those places, and Ripapa Island, and we got people to wear white feather badges because many of the Parihaka people had three feathers to symbolise where they came from. And since that time, many of the... Commemorations have happened throughout Otatahi but have gone nationwide as well with consultation with Parihaka people so that there are commemorations right throughout the country at the moment. The petition was actually given to Parliament. It's still being considered as formally naming uh, November the 5th as Parihaka Day. It hasn't gone through yet. The team up at New Plymouth supporting Parihaka are meeting with Marama Davies very soon to finalise that. But one of the things we'd wanted was to support an apology and the government going to Parihaka, that has happened. We also, right on the earthquake time, September 2010, a few weeks after, on Parihaka Day, Sir Paul Reeves, former Governor-General, came and spoke in the cathedral. And there were young children who were greeting the people coming in mimicking what had happened with the children at Parihaka, so offering bread and with their poi and singing to welcome people in. So this is continuing and on Saturday there will be a commemorative service with Karakia and light refreshments at Rakpaki Marae. And at two o'clock at the Memorial Rose Garden in Littleton, near where the prison is, there will be another gathering. So that has been a focus for a lot of us for a long time. And Raupaki people, there's a special commemorative stone out there which acknowledges those who have died and who were in prison at the time.
0: It's certainly an, an amazing history, isn't it? And it's, what I also find amazing is that it's really not all that known about. Mm. Razi and Mia, did you know about the history of Parihaka?
1: I knew a little bit about it, but didn't dwell that much deep in it. But it certainly has a resonance to Jallianwala Bagh in India, where, you know, our freedom fighters were also protesting against the so-called occupation that we had in the colonist era. That's when uh, the leaders of a certain movement were arrested and put in jail after being invited to one of the brigadier's residence. And when people were gathered to actually celebrate an event, a festival, They gathered in this particular bar, which is basically a garden. But the authorities at the time thought this to be a union of people who were trying to, again, revolt and make plans. Well, the brigadier basically went there and ordered without any warning for shots to be fired, and people had nowhere to hide because it was sort of an enclosed area, and there was just one well, and people were just running around. There were kids, young people, older men, women and the massacre only stopped when the ammunition ended. So definitely there's a um, relation to and um, I can certainly understand, um, you know, what had happened in uh, Parihaka.
3: Can I just also add the importance of the film that was made featuring the children of Parihaka called Tātāra ta, ta, Kihi. And that has been shown right around the country uh, with Parihaka speakers as well to give the context. And in fact, last week it was shown at a, quite a few of the local churches. And usually each year it's been part of either a film festival or uh, certainly churches are showing it. And um, it's a great educational tool because it's actually Mata Fari leading, taking the children, uh, the descendants of some of those people who were in the prisons, their male ancestors, to these places to tell them the stories right around the country and to let them grieve and acknowledge what happened. So that was before this sort of process of educating right around the city, the country, was before the apology came from the government at Parihaka a few years ago, which again was absolutely profound very powerful. It's the first time ever in this country there's been a public acknowledgement and asking for forgiveness about the rapes that occurred as well. Very significant.
0: And I think something that's interesting from what you mentioned there, Kate, relating to Razi's work is that you said lots of the churches are showing the video. And I guess there's a a theme there, isn't there, around the role of religious institutions in promoting peace work. Mia, yeah, it would be great to hear from you a little bit about the situation in Iran, what's going on, why it's happening, and also if you could tell us about what's happening on Saturday in Christchurch in order to try and raise public awareness.
4: Not what is happening in Iran. You have to go back over 100 100- years to 1905, when the fight for democracy kind of started. Iran is, by some definitions, considered as the oldest country in the world. So it's been around for a lot of time. So, that goes go to, back to 1905, when there was a constitutional revolution, it was the first country in the Middle East to have that, although it failed uh, due to internal and external divisions. It was bombarded by the Russians. Uh, in 1908, and then there was, again, another democracy we had where we elected, the Iranians elected the prime minister, who did something that some countries considered a sin. He nationalized oil. So when that happened, the Brits didn't like it. So they went to the Americans with the CIA to establish a coup. They overthrew Mossadegh. And then he was under house arrest until he died and replaced him with Mohammad Reza Shah. He was a bit weaker when he started, but he started getting a lot stronger. And when he started using the oil within the country and all the wealth and everything, Iran's growth rate really expanded. So Iran was going forward. But what happened slowly was, although the Shah was a nationalist, and loved Iran and did everything for Iran's development and progress and everything and he had great plans Uh, but I think he got separated from the society a bit so he started moving, him and the people started moving apart in terms of understanding each other and also there was the fact that he was getting really strong so there were some powers who didn't like that and also the mullahs The leader uh, actually tricked them, tricked the people uh, in saying that here's a democracy, everybody will have freedom, and people really supported him. But once he got into power, everything changed after the revolution. He started throwing different groups out. For example, nobody had talked about an Islamic regime in that sense, or mandatory hijab. And that suddenly became a rule. Slowly they imposed it and it became a law in 1983, three years after the Iranian war. The opposite of what had happened in 1963 when there was a mandatory unveiling of women after Reza Shah went to Turkey and saw that in Turkey and then wanted to imp- implement that in Iran. At that time, there were also opposition from the women; They marched against it. So the woman in Iran didn't accept that law. So since that, although this has been imposed on them, they've never really accepted the mandatory hijab. And there's always been a struggle between the government and the people because they do not resemble each other at all.
0: Okay, could you just maybe bring us up to what's happening right now, the events of the last month or so?
4: There have been always a sort of police, morality police, that has imposed these uh, mandatory hijab laws. So this police has been there to impose the hijab on people. So you could be walking to work or going out with your friends, well, suddenly they catch you and they'll take you away, right? And they use brutality you know, seeing these images really hurts people. But you know, they have the power. So, forty-five days ago, this girl who is an Iranian Kurdish girl, gone to Tehran with her brother, on a visit, and when they came out of the underground, they mm-hmm. caught her. And although she told them that she was a visitor, and, and her brother struggled to get her back, foot to get her back, and he apparently was beaten and sprayed, they took her away to. Was that where they gather all the girls, there they usually take their names and details and everything and they have mandatory classes for them to teach them about stuff and psychological stuff and tell them off. And they make them sign sheets saying that they won't do it again. But then she passed away. What happened was that the news came out, two journalists got that out, one particular one, but the government claimed that she had a heart attack and uh, she had health issues before, and that was the result of that. Although her dad said that this was not the case, she had no health issues. From the people who were with her on the van, they said that she was beaten. Uh, she was beaten in the head, and she had internal bleeding, passed out, and then went to a coma and passed away. And then the people came out in anger of what had happened is an amazing thing for us because I have been always struggling to tell people that we Iranians are not how you see them and how we're shown in the news and movies, That people who oppress women inside them. I'm not saying every one of them. There are percentages, but most of us are not. People came out with anger and have been protesting since.
0: So this seems to be almost like a, a spark of resentment that's been around many, many decades from the sounds of it.
4: Yes, it's that anger within the society and also all these different things like the huge inflation that Iran has, mismanagements that have resulted in droughts and the environment being destroyed. And because of all these, the brain drainage is high, a lot of people are leaving in Iran. The poverty line is now 18 million to a month, so according to that, out of 85 million people in Iran, 66 million are under the poverty line from a country that is ranked fifth in terms of natural resources, 27.3 trillion dollars of natural resources. The second in terms of gas reserves and I think fourth or fifth in terms of oil reserves, it shouldn't be like that at all. Uh, so rich country, poor people, lot of mismanagement and the lies and corruption and all these other stuff. So the society in every aspect that you may think and you may not think is going down.
0: If you could tell us then, Mia, what's happening on Saturday in terms of events in Christchurch?
4: So there have been weekly events, protests in Christchurch in the central city, Bridge of Remembrance, either human chains or protests, trying to inform people about what is going on in Iran and get their support, which is important. And one of the reasons that it's important is that lack of understanding. We have had support from TV's, but there are some communities that we kind of expected support and we didn't get. And I think that's, again, because of misunderstandings. What is happening on Saturday, on 5th of November at 12.30 at Christ College in Trier, Rolston Avenue, there is going to be a human chain in support of what is going on in Iran and all the protesters and all those who have been killed.
0: So as far as I understand it, the idea of a human chain is something that's happening right around the world in terms of trying to raise awareness?
4: Yes, it's a global event, so it's happening around the world. There have been a few other ones as well. The first one which happened over 150 cities around the world, there were 50,000 people out in Toronto, around 13 in LA, and then the second one, there were 80,000 people out in Berlin protesting. So it's been going on to raise awareness for the global community
0: that's great and i'd be really keen to hear from razi and kate about your reflections as people who aren't part of the iranian community but watching what's happening both the news but also through the events happening right here in the city
1: you know, when certain types of laws are imposed um, against the will of the people, that's when, you know, people sort of revolt and uh, go against the authorities. But you have to also look at Iran has been under sanctions for like decades. And and so, you know, they have a lot of economic failures. You know, they don't have a lot of jobs. They can't trade freely like other countries, like the other all-producing countries, and so, you know, it's it's basically a culmination of a lot of other anger as well that has come out from these protests. I don't know this particularity, but me can correct me, but I think the morality police probably got more powers when Ahmadinejad got appointed as the president and he he imposed and gave them a lot of delegated authority. In saying all this, you know, any country's issues are really complex because and, and when you look at the media. You know, media can pick up one issue and highlight that more compared to other issues, you know, because there are so many other Muslim countries where media and Muslim countries are okay with. For example, like in Saudi Arabia, driving for women has just been okayed. Whereas in Iran, they've been free to drive, free to educate, free to go um outside the country and come back. So their issues compared to like issues where in certain Western countries now, the hijab or the whale has been banned, which is also a human rights issue, but that doesn't get highlighted too much. You know, it's like their issue, and they've resolved to do that by voting, and that and that's resulted. And when it comes to Iran, then there's the question of, well, are the elections when people get appointed to the parliament, are they fair or not? So it's a very complex situation that we're living in in these days, you know, For me to comment on those issues as an outsider, yeah, I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm not sure where to begin and where to stop. You know, understanding these geopolitics and international issues, there's always different sides that you will encounter. But certainly the people have to decide there, you know, what they want their country to be like. You know, and they've taken like a whole 180 degrees turn now from, uh, as Mir was explaining, from... When they had a democratically elected government, which got toppled by Western powers, and then um, Reza Shah was appointed, and then you know he was taken wow. over by the people um, of the time, and now again people are against the now current government.
4: Yes, you were right, When it got to that it got worse. But before it, 10 years after the revolution, there were people who went around. And if women weren't went, their hijab properly, they would pin their foreheads. Yes, I agree. You have to give people the choice to wear whatever they want. If it's not like doing anything offensive, like what France is doing, which is wrong, uh, people should have the right to wear what they want. But France is not using brutality against the people. France is not beating them down. France is not taking them to prison. France is not killing them. That is a whole different story. And that's what needs to be understood. Sanctions have been there, yes. Historically, Western powers haven't really liked the powerful Iran. But at the same time, you have to look at what the regime has been doing a lot of the sanctions that have been being posed are the results of the actions that the regime has been taking. When the regime treats its people in the way that I've seen it, killing them in the streets, what would it do if it had a nuclear power, nuclear weapon? And a lot of the sanctions that have been in place have been because of that. There have been a lot of wrong decisions, and the government, the regime, believes that if it backs off from any of these it will fail, so it will not back off. So it has left the people with no solution. The people don't like a revolution. A revolution is not an easy thing, right? People are getting killed. People have been trying to have reform in Iran for a long time, but it has failed. It has elections, yes, it has elections. But you have to know the system is fraud. In 2009, votes were stolen, and there are filters that allow only certain people who are approved by the higher power can become candidates, right? And again, people try to express their anger and opposition by electing reformers, which now they've given up on them, to implement that change. But unfortunately, they come to power, again, they're restricted by the higher power, and they can't do anything. So no change that the people have wanted has taken place.
0: Okay, Kate, any comment on all this as as an observer?
3: Well, as a woman observing, I have felt terrible pain for the first woman killed that we know of, but also all those have been killed at the protests, which is outrageous. I'm heartened by the international support, that is people coming out on the streets, and I know that the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom that I'm a member of, there are people supporting women as much as they can. Um, and hopefully our members will get to some more of the protests here on Saturday. It depends which which protest they're going to or which commemoration on Saturday. It's a busy day.
0: It is a busy day. OK, we're going to have the English version of Baraye's song,
6: dancing in the alleys and the streets for the thrill and the fear of getting caught kissing for my sister my brother and unity for all the times we tried to change their minds and stale beliefs for the loss of pride for poverty, for the dream of just a normal life, for you and me, for all the children who were starving for a loaf of bread, for the greed of politics and all the lies they spread, for all the... Mass polluted air we breathe For all the litter in the streets And all the dying trees For all the animals who suffer From elimination For all the cats and dogs who love us Without no conditions For all the tears that seem to never end for all the images that keep on turning in our heads for a simple smile to last a little while for the future generations fighting for their time for empty promises of heaven in the afterlife for all Imprisonment of beautiful minds For all the babies who were born And for the ones who died For all the times you told the truth And all the times you lied For all the speeches that we heard About a million times For all the shacks and shelters That were sold to make a dime For just a glimpse of a peaceful life For the rising of the sun After an endless night For all the pills we pop Just to get some sleep For all mankind and our country For all the boys and girls who never knew equality For woman, for life Liberty For liberty
0: and we're talking about peace commemoration in Christchurch from Parihaka through to Persia. We've got Mia Hosseini, Razi Said, Saeed and Kate Jews. And I'd like to think now about how the peace commemoration is taking place on the 5th of November. We've got both Parihaka and Freedom for Iran taking place. How these two events fit into a kind of longitudinal context of peace commemorations in our city, because there's been a lot that's been going on. Kate, we'll start with you maybe to get some context, and then I think we might pass over to Razi to talk to us a bit about the work that the Interface Society has been doing.
3: Thank you, uh, Sally, for the opportunity. A few years ago, we started a, a Voices Against War website at the university and tried to collate the stories of the Canterbury people who spoke out against the First World War, And as we gathered those stories, we realised, of course, there was a lot more history that came before that, not least our Maori history here with Waitaha being a a completely non-violent tribe and stood up for absolutely no people being killed. And uh, so that peace tradition is here But we also uncovered a huge history of the peace movement that Elsie Locke has written up as well, but also Margie Lovell-Smith is writing up about. As early as the 1890s, right through to the First World War, there were women active in the Women's Christian Temperance Union and the National Council of Women and others who worked with a progressive network of labour, political, religious and social reform groups throughout Christchurch And they were strong. There was an Irish background as well as the Methodists and others who'd been involved in getting the vote for women were also very involved in trying to stop war, but also to call for an international court of justice, for example, to try and mediate and get a police force there instead of a war force, if you like, before the UN was even set up. So there's some strong voices coming out. But also, even in the pre-war peace movement here, The National Peace Council and the Anti-Militarist League was strong with Quakers and the Passive Resisters Union. The first woman elected to the City Council on the peace vote was Ada Wells, who was actually part of the Canterbury Women's Institute. And there is a book coming out on this next year, which I'm hoping Sally will interview Margie Lovell-Smith about,
0: Yes, we've already set that one up. for all yeah, great.
3: great, because I think it's part of the story that's never told. So when you have the commemoration of, say, World War One and a lot of money from the government going in, it wasn't going into finding stories of the people who stood for peace, who were imprisoned for standing up for peace, who were conscientious objectors, who were s- imprisoned for sedition. There was one woman from Christchurch, the only woman in the country imprisoned for sedition because she spoke out against war. So there's a long history of people being prepared to do that, not just from the churches, but from the Labour Union and others. So it's a very important part of our history. Also, we were the first nuclear-free city in Christchurch in March 1982, the same night as Littleton, actually, and Rangiora was not long after, that led the sort of nuclear-free movement to declare homes and schools and councils nuclear-free. 20 years later, on the anniversary of that, we were the first peace city. And our city at every level, internationally and nationally, Mayors for Peace, Gary Moore, I think, was a vice president of Mayors for Peace, spoken out internationally. We've got peace relationships with a lot of countries and a lot of cities, especially Hiroshima and Nagasaki. You will have seen the World Peace Bell It was... In the Botanic Gardens, where a lot of ceremonies are taking place, well, that bell was gifted to Christchurch. Because of our Peace City status and long history and her story of people speaking out, you'll see more recently there's been interpretive panels in Victoria Square and other places to acknowledge, for example, the lantern ceremony that's been going on for 40 years to remember the victims of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So... There is a lot happening, and just recently, of course, the peace train, which was launched, in fact, on the anniversary of the September quakes, and of course, to acknowledge what happened with the mosque attacks. So for our city, there's been a lot of peace heritage that's gone on for a very long time, and this is the city where we started what was called the World Court Project, where we took a case to the International Court of Justice to get nuclear weapons declared illegal. And we did start that from a tiny little group of us here. It did succeed at the UN, in the General Assembly and at the World Court and generally ruled that nuclear weapons were illegal and called for negotiations on a treaty. And three or four years ago, we actually got in the UN a treaty on the prohibition of nuclear weapons. We haven't got everyone signed up yet, but it's an amazing legacy that our city holds. And I think those of us who are peace activists today walk beside or have our ancestors behind us and those who were prepared to be imprisoned and take the risks, including Tafiti and Tohu Kākehi in our own city. They inspire us to continue to do non-violent direct action to actually achieve change. And I think we've got a wonderful heritage here. And it's up on the Peace City website for our city. A lot of that history is written up so people can know about it and know what activities are going on.
0: It's actually pretty amazing when you list it like that. Just how much has happened here, and I think Kate, you've got to we've got to take our hats off to you for all yes. the work that you've done in that space. Um, and you mentioned the peace bell, which is the perfect segue into bringing Razi into this, because the peace bell in the Botanic Gardens is where the Interface Society does so many peace events. And I'd love to hear from you, Razi, about how and why the Interfaith Society started to do these kinds of events and I guess the importance of bringing together multiple religions and faiths um, in, in the name of peace.
1: Yeah, I think um, these prayers started, if I'm not wrong, from 2006, um, these annual prayer. And this is basically the week of prayer for world peace, which happens usually around 11 to 18th October. This year, we did our prayers on the 23rd of October at the Peace Bill, and the Peace Bill was brought out. Um, and if you go to our Facebook page, Canterbury Interfaith Society, you can see the prayers and the video that uh, John Selwood from Telling Lives says, created for us. So this goes back to, if I'm not wrong, the date was 1978 when the Christians decided to come together and uh, do this event. And slowly as immigrants uh, started arriving to New Zealand, they started including uh, other faiths uh, into this. So this is like a national type of an event and different uh, councils around New Zealand do it differently. They do a whole lot of things uh, here in Christchurch because of COVID and so many other things. We haven't been able to manage to do a week-long event where, you know, you go to different religious faith premises and you get an understanding and invitation from these places to to visit and see. But this year, we just we have just been able to do the prayer where all different faith backgrounds come together and from their scriptures or from their faith recite a prayer for world peace. And last couple of years, we have also done a Sacred Sound event, which is also again a interfaith event where we invite different faith groups to come together and either sing, or hymn, uh, or recitations from like either Quran or Bhagavad Gita, uh, or from the Sikh um, faith, Buddhism. You know, they they have some chants, and so we do that event. Since now we have come out of COVID, we're hoping to do a bit more of these events in different shapes and forms. Um, But because, you know, these are all voluntary organizations, you know, it's hard to find time as well to do it. But a lot of people are quite enthusiastic about doing these types of events. So I'm hoping that we can do some more of these and keep them, as always, open to general public to come and see. And, yeah, as part of this, we had also done... Interfaith podcast called uh, Open Table, where we invited guests from different faiths and picked up a topic that we could all talk about. And it was amazing to see, you know, how there were so many similarities in different faith groups who talk a lot about, you know, having peace within first. And once you have that, then you can improve the society around you. And you can have, you know, these respectful, conversations and respect for each other and an understanding about each other.
0: And I think one thing that is also great about Christchurch and commemoration is that the Canterbury Interface Society has been invited to all the earthquake um, commemorations as well to give the different prayers. And I think that says something about the city's openness to these sorts of things that we have an earthquake commemoration. And as part of that, there are all these different prayers from different faiths and in different languages, of course, as well.
1: For the last couple of years, we've also invited people who are of no faith to come in and um, do their own presentation. And uh, John Silwood, who doesn't want to be associated with any faith, you know, he recited something on behalf of uh, the Charter for Compassion this year and last year
3: and just do a follow-up on the world peace bell for those of you who haven't necessarily looked down when you're doing the ceremony we put about 50 or 60 words of peace in different languages right on the ground on the slate so look for that when you've got your gathering there because that's a very nice way of including lots of different religions and and nationalities
0: have any of you rung the peace bell? We have. How does that make you feel?
1: It feels good. If you want to listen to it, the video is there from our yeah. peace prayer as well. Uh, it starts with the with the bell.
3: With that as well, when we first put it down, we were gifted a piece of ponamu by Naitahu. And when it rings, when the bell rings, it sounds a vibration to Nagasaki where we've placed the other part of the Ponamu, and that is at the bottom of Japan and linked with the last time a nuclear weapon was used in war and it resonates right throughout the world we've also put the Ponamu in different parts of the world on behalf of one of our Maori elders here so it's just an acknowledgement that that vibration goes global not just local.
0: Anything you would like to say in terms of wrapping up?
4: Supporting this movement is very important. It's very disappointing that there's been a lot of condolences and everything when it comes to Ukraine, but when it comes to the people of Iran, people have ignored it. And I have read a lot of comments that they said, oh, it's not our problem. First of all, you have to consider that Iran or Persians were the first people who came up with human rights. The Daya Cyrus Cylinder is in the British Museum. You can go and look at it. So we talked about human rights. We were the first people who did that. And now nobody cares about our human rights, which is really annoying. But the, the other thing is, if we really care about global peace, we care about Ukraine, if you cared about drones and rockets, we care about price of oil and the fuel that you put in your car and many other stuff, you have to care about Iran and what's happening in Iran. And you have to understand that this movement is not against religion. It's not against hijab. It's not against. It's against compulsory hijab. So it's about that freedom that the people of Iran want, and that re- respect and human rights.
0: Great. That was a great summation.
1: Yeah. In terms of wrapping up, I can say that as Canterbury Interfaith Society, we basically pray for world peace in every part of the world. Obviously, so I just hope that you know things improve in Iran. And in other places like in uh, Ukraine and Russia uh, crisis as well, we just hope that, you know, this senseless killing, trying to take another country's territory stops. And, uh, you know, hopefully there is some kind of resolution that comes out of this. Hopefully uh, after all these protests, you know, there's some kind of sense that comes back to people, to the government who listens and basically improves themselves. Looks like there are a lot of issues that needs to be addressed and which is why people are on the streets, you know, asking those things
3: to be fixed. I'd just like to thank you, Sally, for bringing us together and for giving this opportunity for the voices to get out a bit wider and educate people about Parihaka, about what's happening in Iran, about the interfaith and about our our strong peace heritage and legacy within the city and I just hope it inspires our younger people to get out on the streets to do the original sort of protests. The kids at Rickett and High, um, I take my grandchildren now on the peace protests anywhere, just to teach them that we still have a democracy and we can still affect change. So, yeah. all the best. Thank you.
0: I'd like to say thank you to all three of you, Tenakoto, and also to mention that there are lots of other kind of movements of peace that we haven't touched on, but we've seen over the years in Christchurch. Vigils for Afghanistan, for example, when there are bombings, we've seen lots of events and movements since the 15th of March, 2019, including Temel's walk for peace when he walked from Dunedin right up to Christchurch. Mm -hmm. And there's lots and lots of different events we could have pointed to today. And we've just chosen the three that come with your expertise. But yeah, I guess just to kind of think about the fact that we've got three of you here, but it's just a, a drop in the ocean in the kind of bigger pool of what is happening. And Mia, as reflecting what the other two have said, all we can do is hope that things do improve and have our say by attending some of these events and standing in the human chain.
4: Thank you.
2: Now I've been happy lately, thinking about the good things to come. And I believe it could be Something good has begun Oh, I've been smiling lately Dreaming about the world at one And I believe it could be Someday it's going to come Cause out Ah. on the edge of darkness Their eyes would be strange The good things to come, and I believe it could be something good has begun. Oh, peace, train sounding louder, just ride right on the peace train. As it is Why must we go on hating Why can't we live in bliss Cause out on the edge of darkness There rides a peace train Oh peace train Take this country Come take me home again Oh peace train Sounding louder. Ride right on the peace train Come on Oh, dear, oh, dear. Everyone's in the ball to peace train. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Come on, come on, come on. Yes, yeah, come on, peace train. Hey, yes, it's the peace train.